Good morning, church. Today's reading is from the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1 to verse 22. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, 
and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of a neighbor and any woman who lives in a house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of God. Thank you, Dr. Charles, uh, for that reading and to Clayton for the prayer earlier. The Nordfake group always serves us so well. It always bless us. Maybe next time some of that virtual coffee guys will be most welcome. Um, I'm sure you'd be happy to bless us in that way as well. Every time uh, Charles Spurgeon, old Baptist pastor, would come up into the pulpit, he would be proclaiming to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I think that's fitting on Pentecost Sunday. So why don't we pray to God now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, as we come to you this morning, we are, are mindful that we come naked. We come with nothing but empty hand, hands. We come as spiritual paupers and peasants. Father, we ask that you will um, kill any pride in us. We ask that you will give us ears to hear. We ask that you will quiet our minds and our hearts. We ask that you would give us the peace that surpasses understanding. And we pray that you'll cut our hearts anew this morning. Please, Father, bring us to yourself through your Son and in the power of your Spirit. Amen. I think it's um, I think it's fair to say that we don't know who we are. We have no idea who we are. As a society, as an individuals, we are confused. When it comes to identity, we are probably the most confused generation in the history of the human race. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Who am I? It used to be that African people had a simple but profound answer to that question in the proverb, moto ke moto kabato. Moto ke moto kabato. A person is a person through persons. Individual identity is found in community. That's how it was. Again, I think it's fair to say that that's not quite how it is anymore. Intermarriage, urbanization, a growing mixed middle class, all of these forces blur the lines that once defined the community. And then by the same proverb, if it's not clear who the community is, well then it's not quite clear who the individual is. It might be true one day soon, perhaps it isn't true right now, but it might be true one day soon that a Sutu madam living in Santon has more in common with her Jewish neighbor than with her Sutu domestic worker. 
Maybe we're not there yet, but perhaps one day soon. Some of you, quite a few of you in fact, have shared with me how you struggle when you go home to your family, your extended family in KZN or the Eastern Cape or Limpopo. How all of a sudden you, you're not petty enough or Zulu enough or Tosa enough. You're not even black enough. Who am I is not so easily answered these days, even for African people who traditionally have had such a strong sense of identity in community. And of course, for those of us with a more Western heritage, this question is not a question. It's the question. It's the question at the heart of Western culture. Who am I? The existential question. The reason the existential question is a crisis is because of the question behind the question. We want to know who we are because we want to know if we matter. And if we matter, why we matter. The question of identity helps us to answer the question of purpose, which helps us to answer the question of worth. The who will help to answer the why. But nobody's honest about that. We don't face up to the deeper question or the deeper longing. We pretend that as long as you do you, that's all that matters. You do you. That's the slogan of Western culture. George Bernard Shaw said it so succinctly. He said, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. That's the mantra of the Western culture. So as a Western person, you have to create yourself out of nothing. And then once you've created yourself, you broadcast yourself to the world, and the world must accept you as you are. But what if it doesn't? And what if it shouldn't? Because we all know people for whom you do you is the worst possible advice you can give them. And sometimes we are those people. Imagine the pressure that these identity games put on our young people. We've said to them, you must decide who you are. Everything's up for grabs. Even something as basic as gender, you must decide. You define you, and then you do you. And if that doesn't work out, well, oh, we haven't actually thought that far. No wonder our young people are absolutely imploding under the pressure because it's, be, it's the pressure of being God, creating out of nothing, ex nihilo. The pressure of being God. Be your own God is what we've told them. That's at the level of the individual. We also play these games at the level of society. It's called identity politics. It's when we gather together with those who identify in the way that we do and we set ourselves up against those who don't. In our quest to have some answer to this question, we go to war with those who answer it in a different way. So who am I? Ask yourself that question. If you don't have an answer, I don't blame you. It just means that you're a child of this confused age. But I want to show you this morning 
that there is an answer to that question. And the answer is found in the most unlikely place. Can you imagine Freud turning to his patient on the couch and saying, now turn to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Can you imagine it? You can't, right? That's why we need more Christian psychologists. Because Exodus 3 is all about identity. The chapter pivots around two questions. Moses is speaking to God. He asks two questions. Verse 11, who am I? And verse 13, who are you? Moses asks God, who am I and who are you? And those, of course, are the right questions. John Calvin, you may know, you may have heard of him, famous reformer. He begins his most important book with this. This is how he starts the book. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. It is evident that man never attains a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look at himself. Who are you? Who am I? They're the right questions. Let's see how Exodus chapter 3 answers them. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God wants Moses to confront Pharaoh and to save Israel. Now, I think we can sympathize with Moses when he doesn't exactly jump at the opportunity to go and confront the most powerful man in the known world and say, I want your labor force. Thank you very much. We can sympathize with him when he responds, who am I to do that? But I think there's more to it than that. Moses, who am I, might start with the normal feelings of inadequacy that come with an impossible task. But in this case, it goes much deeper than that. Who is Moses? At this point in the story, that is not an easy question to answer. You remember from last week? Born a Hebrew, raised in the house of Pharaoh as an Egyptian. But then he murders an Egyptian to liberate a Hebrew, only to find that the Hebrews reject him and the Egyptians want him dead. And so he runs to nowhere to get a nothing job in the desert so that he can live out the rest of his days as a nobody. Nowhere, nothing, nobody. At this point in his life, it is not clear whether Moses is a Hebrew or an Egyptian or just a wandering nomad. You remember, even his name is ambiguous. We don't know whether Moses, the name Moses, is a Hebrew name or an Egyptian name. So when Moses asks, who am I? It's not just about dodging an errand. It's a deep crisis of identity reduced to a single question. But notice, as important as this question is, notice how quickly we move on to the next question. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
When Moses doesn't fully grasp the answer to the question, who am I? He follows it up with, okay then, well, who are you? God answers that question in the most extraordinary way. Verse 14. We're familiar with it, but it is extraordinary. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God has many names in the Bible. But this is the one he gives when he's asked the question directly. This is the answer he gives to the direct question, who are you? This is the name that defines him in his essence. And what the name tells us is that his essence cannot be defined. When Moses asks, who are you? God couldn't give the answer power. Because he's more than power. And God couldn't give the answer provider. Because he's more than a provider. And God couldn't give the answer healer because he's more than a healer. He is called power, provider, healer in the scriptures. But none of those names define him. He's compared to a rock, to a lion, to the sun. But never in response to the question, who are you? To identify him with anything in the world that he has created is to reduce him. Do you see that? It works when you're talking about an aspect of who God is. But not when you are asking, who are you? Not when you're asking about his essence. Who is God? Provider, rock, lion, sun, healer. Partial answers at best. God is the creator of this world. He cannot be reduced to anything in it. When we do that, the Bible calls it idolatry. And it's blasphemous. So to the question, who are you? He answers, I am. I am. It's an answer and a non-answer, an evasion of the question at the same time. It's the answer that says, I am beyond answers. It's the name that says, I am above names. In the Hebrew, I wish I could do this for you on the board, but in the Hebrew, if you take the verb to be, and you write it in the past tense, he was. And then you write over it, adding the consonants for the present tense, he is. And then you do the same thing again, you write over it again, adding the consonants for the future tense, he will be. What you get is the name of God, Yahweh. He was, he is, he will be at the same time. He was, he is, he will be. That is not normal created existence. He is outside of created existence. He simply is. He is the creator. This is the name of the God who cannot be named. He is so other, so far, so beyond, so separate. And yet, verse 15, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. Moses, I transcend the whole universe, but I knew your dad. And I knew his dad. 
and his dad. Moses, I am an utter stranger. But I've been a close friend of the family for a long time. These two aspects of God's name. He is far away, but he comes near in love. These two things help us to understand the rest of what God discloses to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. So so this is some of what he discloses. Verse 2. Moses looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. This is the same paradox. God is a fire that needs no fuel. He has no beginning. He has no end. He doesn't start up. He doesn't burn out. He simply is. There is nothing else like him. Verse 5, God said, do not come near, take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The ground on which Moses walked was cursed since the days of Adam. But God reverses the curse by the purity of his mere presence. If sin enters into that presence, what you can expect is spontaneous combustion. He's not like us. And yet, verse 6, he is committed to us through the generations. And yet, verse 7, he looks deep down into the affliction of his people. He hears their cries. He has compassion on them. He's concerned for their suffering. The fire of God's holiness means that he burns bright in love for his people. Look at verse 8. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God stoops to save, but not just to save. He wants us to have the good life, the best of all possible lives. You think you can imagine your best life. You can't imagine anything. Things that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has imagined. These are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. He doesn't just save us from slavery. He walks us into the wide open spaces of abundance and freedom. At the heart of that freedom, he puts us to work. He gives us purpose. Verse 10. Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God gives us the dignity of work in his kingdom. He gives us purpose. Finally, in all this, he is the promise-making, promise-keeping God. He is the faithful God, verse 17. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, a land flowing with milk and honey. We know that he kept that promise. We know that he always keeps his promises. Who are you? I am. I am a holy fire who burns eternally in love. I am a compassionate covenant maker who hears the cries of his people. I am the giver of life and identity and purpose. I am the faithful promise keeper. That's the Lord. Now, who is Moses? Moses is a lost, confused wanderer. 
He's a man on the run from himself, like so many of us. That's what we know so far. But we know a bit more. Because now that we know who the Lord is, we are in a better position to understand his answer to Moses in verse 12. Remember Moses in verse 11 asked, Who am I? The Lord gives him an answer in verse 12. Pick it up in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? The Lord said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But I will be with you. I will be with you. You have to take off your shoes in my presence. You have to hide your face. But I will be with you. And we know from the rest of the story that Moses does return to that mountain. He does free Israel. He does go on to talk with the Lord face to face as a man talks to his friend. But how? What are we supposed to make of this incredible transition from lost, confused, restless, rootless, homeless, faceless outsider wandering around in the desert to Moses, the prophet, the mighty man of God, who leads our whole nation into their identity? How do you explain that transition? Verse 12, I will be with you. From this moment, Moses begins to recognize that he is defined by the presence of the Lord in his life. His identity is in the Lord. His worth is in the Lord. His purpose is in the Lord. The power to execute that purpose is in the Lord. So here's a question for us. There are three characters in this conversation. This one's also for a a year's supply of free cappuccinos. Rafa's paying this time. Three characters in this conversation. There's Moses. There's the Lord. Who's the third? Did you pick it up? And Dr. Charles was reading for us. I'm going to move on, Rafa, before someone claims the cappuccinos. The third character is the angel of the Lord. Who's he? Look at verse 1. I'm going to read from the NIV because the translation is slightly closer to the Hebrew in these verses. So forgive me if it's a bit different to what you have. But this is what it says, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. The angel of the Lord appears from within the bush. Then the Lord himself sees and calls from within the bush. The angel and the Lord are distinct, but they somehow, in some mysterious way that we don't really understand, are inseparable. They're distinct but inseparable. It's as if the angel is with God and somehow is God 
at the same time. It's as if the angel is with God and somehow is God at the same time. Where have we heard that before? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Distinct, but inseparable. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. The writer to the Hebrews wrote, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Do you hear that? Jesus Christ is past, present, and future. He is the embodiment of the faraway God who comes near to us in love. This is key. I'm going to say it again. He is the embodiment, the flesh and blood of the faraway God who comes near to us in love. He is the holy son of God. He's also the friend of sinners. The mighty hand of God that compels the prince of this world to let God's people go, that mighty hand is nailed to a cross. Jesus is the one who says, go and make disciples of all nations and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Remember Exodus 3 verse 12. The key to Moses' identity, to his purpose, to his worth. I will be with you. I will be with you. Let me ask you this morning. The question we've been asking the whole morning. Do you know who you are? Or are you lost? You've been wandering through this life for who knows how long. You are rootless. You feel like you have no past. You feel like you have no direction. You don't know where you've come from or where you're going to. You don't know who you really are. If that's you... And I suspect there are a few of us here this morning. If that's you, what difference does knowing who God is make to knowing who you are? Let me try and lay it out as plainly as I can. Think with me for a moment. What if there were, what if there were an infinite being who knew every possible combination of cells, every possible combination, He could make anything he wanted. He's perfect in knowledge. He's perfect in power. He can make anything he wants. And yet he chooses to make you. But he doesn't just make you. He loves you. You are the apple of his eye. And he doesn't just love you. He proves that love by writing it in his own blood. Imagine he is so committed to your existence, to your being with him forever, that he was willing to die so that you can continue to live. 
Do you hear it? Who are you? You are a beloved child of God. What are you worth? The blood of Christ. What is your purpose to live for him? My friends, those are answers. Those are answers. And they may just be the answers you've been searching for. I'm going to ask the music team to come up while we pray together. We're going to pray with the Apostle Paul this morning uh, because he picks up on so many of these themes. So if you can just turn to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. And I'm going to pray from verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3 and from verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Let's kneel in our hearts before the Father. We kneel in our hearts before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Father, we see that we get our name from your name. We know who we are by knowing who you are. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Father, by your grace, fill us with the power of your spirit this morning so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high And deep is the love of Christ. Father, by the power of your Spirit, help us to grasp your love for us. The dimensions of your love. Your infinite love for us in Christ Jesus. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Father, in Jesus we can know the unknowable love. We can know the unknowable God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That we may be all that you have intended us to be by your loving, gracious presence in our lives. And it's only in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.